morning, Thunderway Church. I'm Eric, and I'm so thankful to be gathering with you online this morning. Welcome to everyone gathering on our Sunday morning live platform and those gathered in watch parties. And hello to those watching or listening later on in the week. A very special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. We know that this season it may be difficult to visit a church, but we trust that even online you feel at home here. In hopes of making your first visit a little easier, I'm gonna run through some information that we share every single week uh, that we trust will help you, our guests, and everyone else know a little bit about what to expect as we gather and how to engage if you're on the live platform. The live platform has many options for you. You can share your information with us or update your information. There's also a tab to give, to take next steps, to find previous messages, and to share this message. You can also request prayer right on our live platform, and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening to this message later, you can do those things through our website. Now, if you have questions, you need assistance or prayer, uh, or know someone uh, who does, we'd love to help you any way that we can. Whether it's related to the pandemic or just life in general, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. We have resources available to go along with the message you're about to hear that will help you grow no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey and take you deeper throughout the week. You'll want to check out our Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, which you can sign up for on the Next Steps page of the website. We provide wallpaper images uh, to remind you of the weekly application question, and we have a message just for our kids. Our kids learn from the same scripture text that we learn from, which allows for great discussions and growth as a family. All the resources I mentioned and more are available on our website. Now, we want you to mark your calendars for Sunday, November 29th. It's our annual One Day to Feed the World offering. And the basic concept is that we're challenged to give one day's wage to feed and change the lives of so many around the world. There's so much more to it and incredible stories of life change. So if you aren't familiar with this event or you'd like to learn more, visit convoyofhope.org or you can find the link on our homepage. If you have kids, uh, they can't give in the same way you can because no, they're unemployed. Uh, but over the next few weeks, they too can be generous and find creative ways to give. More information to come on that. Now, here's what to expect today. Kara will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then you'll hear some ways to respond and worship immediately after the message. You can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now, here's Kara with the text for today. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kara, and I'm going to read this morning's scripture. Mark 3, 7 through 21. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed, from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, 
James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Mark 3, 7-21 through 21. Morning and welcome. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church and uh, super excited that you have the opportunity to join us, uh, whether it's live or after the fact. We're beginning a new series this morning uh, called Disrupted. Disrupted, And uh, it's going to continue in the book of Mark, as you just heard read, uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. And we're going to continue the journey through uh, chapter 6. And this morning's uh, message is entitled Identity, Disrupted Identity. And uh, we're going to talk as we move through this series about how Jesus disrupts people in the book of Mark as it kind of records that, but ultimately how he disrupts us in the most wonderful of ways. And uh, that seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? The the idea, the words disrupted and wonderful, uh, they don't seem like they belong in the same sentence, or at least that's what I think. At face value, um, disruptions are very frustrating to me. They're infuriating, if I'm being completely honest, because because I'm just like ADD enough to be completely de- uh, derailed um, in the sense that as quickly as something can kind of come into my mind and a disruption can take place, it could just leave my mind that quickly. It's literally infuriating when I'm disrupted. And uh, I'm honestly uh, relieved that Meredith didn't interrupt me uh, when I was proposing to her, or I probably would have thought, what was I going to ask you again? No, I'm just kidding. That's pretty funny. I think I can't remember what I was talking about. Wait, what? See, I just did it. No, I'm just kidding. That's another joke, right? But it happens to me that often. I mean, I literally often, often, almost all the time say to Meredith, wait, wait, what was I talking about? Because I just have thoughts running through my mind all the time. And if there's even the slightest disruption, I feel like I'm completely derailed. Um, But the truth is, I've learned from certain disruptions. Like there is a such thing as a positive disruption. Uh, I was helping a friend uh, frame his basement. Uh, it was years and years ago. And uh, he was redoing his basement. And he asked me to come down and, and cut the studs for his basement. And um, in case you're not familiar with what that kind of involves, you cut the two by fours a specific length. And once you measure, you can just cut them all the same length. Uh, the thing that you have to make sure of, obviously, is that you're cutting them the right length or you will cut a whole mess of two by fours, either too short or too long and have to redo the job. And I had a window of time that I could help him out. And so I was trying to just be as efficient as possible. I was focused and I measured the first uh, length and I'm going along with a square to make sure I'm drawing all the lines on all these two by fours. There were over 50 two by fours that I'm just drawing and I'm getting ready to just use the chop saw to just cut them all and be efficient as possible. And one of my friend's friends stops by to see the progress in the basement. And so he just starts asking me all these questions. Oh, what's this? Oh, what are you going to do here? What's that? And, And I'm just 
completely interrupted and disrupted and I'm furious about it. And I'm just trying to get back to what I'm doing. And so I'm measuring and measuring and measuring and I'm getting ready to make all these cuts after disruption after disruption. And uh, he asks this question. He goes over to these long two by fours and he goes, huh, why are these two set over here? These really long ones. And I was like, oh, those are the top and the bottom plate. And I was like, right the top and bottom plate. Now, if you're not familiar with framing, the, the top and bottom plate are the two by fours that you lay on the bottom and on the top. If you forget to account for them, then you're about to cut every single one of the studs that you just measured three inches too long. And that is exactly what I was about to do. And I was so grateful for that disruption. Isn't that funny how that works? Like, so there's some disruptions that you're so grateful for once you realize that they benefited you in some way. <laughs> We're so selfish in that way. It's like, this disruption is not all right. Oh, it helps me? Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so the question I want us to consider as we move into this morning's text is this. How do you react when your routine is disrupted? How do you react when your routine is disrupted? Man, our reactions can be everywhere. Because get this, a disruption will reveal how much clarity you have. Seems somewhat obvious, but at the same time, rather deep if you think about it. A disruption will reveal how much clarity you have. If you have clarity about something, then a disruption just seems to, to be part of the journey. You're grateful for it. If you don't have clarity about what you're doing and all of a sudden someone disrupts it, then it just sort of derails everything. You can't get your train of thought back. You're wondering what it is that you are doing. You see, if you have clarity around your mission, you have the ability to frame the disruption. I knew that I just wanted to frame that basement as quickly as possible. And so when this one disruption came out and I was immediately frustrated only to realize, oh, it's a good thing he pointed that out all of a sudden I could frame that disruption and be grateful for it. So clarity around the mission can frame the disruption. As humans, not as Christ followers, and I know that we have all different types of people in their spiritual journey tuning in or listening to this. So whether you're a committed Christ follower or if you find yourself a skeptic this morning, as, as people, as human beings, we know disruptions are coming. We know it. Like, it's going to happen, and yet <laughs> we always seem surprised by it or really put off. Like, why can't I just do something without a disruption? Like, seriously, they're inevitable. It's going to happen. The question is, how do you react? How do you react when you're disrupted? Because if we allow it, people, ourselves included, our own thoughts, will take us off mission. Disruptions can and will derail us. Today's text gives us a foundation on how to gain clarity so that we can start to kind of properly frame when we're disrupted. Verses 7 through 12, we see, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 7 through 12, we see a spreading of Jesus's popularity, kind of this, this increasing undeniable awareness of his authority. We see that all throughout the first couple verses of, uh, of the pericope that we're walking through. And then in verse 13, it says this, verse 13 says, And he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. They came to Jesus. Now, I think this is a really important verse. 
I think it's an important verse uh, for a couple of reasons. There's this overarching um, kind of meta-narrative, if you will. It's this idea that if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Moses actually goes up to a mountain to establish the old covenant with God. And as he goes up to this mountain to convene with God, uh, he actually ends up uh, creating this covenant with the Lord and the 12 tribes of Israel are then formed and fortified. And so we see this uh, parallel taking place with Jesus. He goes up to what Mark refers to as a mountain. We know there's no mountains in the area so he's in. So uh, the word was chosen for a specific reason to kind of show this idea that although Jesus is going up to a high hill in the area, it's like the beginning of a new Moses, that Jesus is the new and better Moses. He's going to a mountaintop and he's calling 12 disciples that will represent a new covenant of the formation of these 12 tribes of Israel. And so now we have this new covenant being formulated. So there's there's some um, amazing connections taking place as we see a, a formation of a new covenant coming together. But beyond that, we also see two things happening that I think are rather subtle and yet important. One is that at the height of popularity, Jesus continually pursues solitude. He withdraws continually. So he goes up to the mountain. He finds solitude. And secondly, in the midst of the the busyness and ministry opportunity, these 12, these 12 allow Jesus to disrupt their day and their lives. They decide that they'll go and join him on the mountain, right? They could have said, we're really busy down here. Go tell Jesus that we're super busy doing the work of the ministry and we can't go up to the mountain with him. That doesn't sound familiar, right? That we're too busy to spend time with the Lord. We're too wrapped up in our lives (laughs) to find some time to spend with the creator and originator of our lives. I could spend the whole time here, honestly. I could spend the entire message just talking about the ripple effect But I'll just ask you this, is God, the creator of all, able to disrupt your routine? Is he able, have you given God permission to disrupt you? (laughs) Is it possible that he's trying to disrupt you? He's trying to disrupt me, that we're just, we're too busy in the rhythms of what we've made life be about, that we're not willing to be interrupted. We're not willing to be disrupted. I'll move on. I'll move on to to verse 14. Verse 14 says this, and he, meaning Jesus again, appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So he appointed the 12. We're going to spend a majority of this message right here on this verse and just kind of unpacking it. He appointed the 12. In the original uh, Greek, it means that he created 12. He created 12. In fact, the Greek word is the same word used for an artist creating a work of art. He appointed, he created, he made 12. That's what it's saying. So don't miss this. Something incredible is happening here. He isn't identifying them. He isn't identifying them as apostles. Like that's what I used to think this meant is like he looked down as he's up on this hilltop, this mountain, if you will. And he looks at all of these people following him and he's like, 
someone go and get me these 12, these 12 special ones, because <laughs> I see that they have kind of apostle material. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening here. That's where our minds kind of go off and uh, get a little derailed, if you will, or at least my mind does. But get this, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I, Jesus, like an artist, am carefully and lovingly creating. I will make these men apostles. I will make them apostles. Isn't that encouraging to think about? That these weren't some elevated, super spiritual, incredible men that already had the special sauce, if you will. No. What was needed was God's willingness to create and to say, I see something that I'm going to call you to. You know, we're all individual works of art being shaped and molded. There's so many verses in scripture that talk about us being like uh, in the hands of a potter. That Jesus is shaping us, that he's molding us, that he's doing literally a work of art in and through us. But this transformation, it requires our willingness. It requires our willingness. Like the 12 could have said, oh, I'm busy. I'm not going to go up to that mountaintop to join Jesus right now. I'm, I'm too busy down here doing spiritual things. And they would have missed the whole thing. You see, because they were so busy, they didn't want to be disrupted. You know, further proof of the fact that this transformation kind of requires our willingness is that we bear the responsibility because we look at sort of this list of people that were called. If we look at verse 19, if we jump down, verse 19 says this, and as it goes through the list of all the different men that he called, he gets to the 12th person, verse 19, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Judas is one of these 12, the person who ultimately sells Jesus, that, that brings him on the journey to the cross. He betrays him. And so we realize really quick, like these aren't special men with, with like this special ability that are then infallible. No, that's not the case at all. It's very much attached to this, this responsibility that we have to not only hear God, but then to respond to the disruptions. Listen, if you're willing, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all, will disrupt you in the most wonderful and beautiful of ways. Think about that. Are you willing? Are you willing to be disrupted? Because it takes willingness to ultimately be transformed. Check this out. Verse 14. He appointed the 12 whom he named apostles. He appointed the 12 created who he named apostles. He named them apostles. Now, this name doesn't make any sense to them whatsoever. Like, you are now known as apostles. They're like, hmm, thank you for that. Like, there's got to be so much about what Jesus is doing and has done up until this point where it's like, okay, we're apostles. We don't know why, we don't understand, but I'm sure there's a reason and we're grateful for it. Apostle in the Greek means messenger or one sent with a task 
or commission. So this is really disruptive. It's a disruptive name because Jesus is changing their names in a society where names are directly linked to your identity. Think about that for a second. We can't fully comprehend it in our, in our Western modern mindset. We don't have names run that parallel to who it is that we are. But in, in that time, in that culture, your name was everything. And he's saying from this moment forward, you will have apostle attached to your name. Think about that. From that moment on to this day, to this very day, these men are known as apostles. The apostle Peter, right? Like that's what we say. It's part of his identity. But here's, here's the deal. Before Peter was an apostle, he wasn't Peter. He was Simon. So Jesus goes on and he even renames some of these men literally. So he doesn't just put a descriptor on their name. He literally looks at Simon and he says, you're also from this day forward going to be known as Peter, which means rock. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, he renames them sons of thunder. That's pretty sweet. I'll be honest with you. Like if I was sitting there and be like, he's rock, he's sons of thunder. Who are you? Oh, I'm the betrayer. No, they don't know it at that point. But I'm just saying like, it's amazing to, to see Jesus calling Simon Peter. James and John, sons of thunder. This is, this is a huge moment, but... We miss how big it is, I think, because we have the whole picture, right? Like when we have the whole picture, it's easy for us to look back and benefit from, from history. And we can say, oh, it makes sense that, that Peter would be named Rock or that James and John would have this name, Sons of Thunder. But Peter at this point, he was no rock. In fact, three years after spending every single day and night with Jesus and living in close proximity, he denies Jesus three times. Rock? I'm not so sure. Like, in fact, the people around the circle probably thought, it's kind of laughable. Like, we know Simon. He's no rock, Jesus. I don't get it. I'm not sure what you're doing with this whole apostle thing, but he's no rock. James and John, they were simple fishermen. They weren't sons of thunder. But listen, Jesus was creating. Jesus, the creator, an artist, he was creating. That's what he does. That's what he has always done from the beginning of time. If you look into the Old Testament, he speaks to people and he changes their names. He looks at Abraham, the most obvious of examples, and he says, your name is no longer going to be Abram. It's now Abraham. You're now the father of nations. It made no sense. Like, what are you talking about? I can't have any children. But God says, I'm creating. I'm doing a work and it begins by me changing your name. Time and time again, all throughout the, New Te the Old Testament, we see that and even into the New Testament. In fact, this isn't the last time God changes someone na someone's name. We see a murderer, Saul, going down a road and God just knocks his right off onto his bottom and he is laying in the middle of a road and he can't see. He's completely blind. God says, your name is now Paul. He's creating. 
he's creating a murderer, a murderer who is literally at that moment still an enemy of God. He gave him a new name and with it, a new identity. God was and is creating. He is beautifully disruptive. And he wants you to not settle for a lesser version of your one and only life. Don't cash your life in on what you think it is. Don't find your identity in something where you say, this is it. This is the end of the story. Like, I'm alone. I'm broken. I'm injured. I'm whatever it might be. Because I want to tell you, the God of heaven is a God that still creates. Tim Keller, a pastor, author, and theologian, said this, so profound. He says, when we name, we describe the nature of the thing we are naming. But when God names, he determines the nature of the thing he names. That's so huge. If you get, Let me read it one more time. When we name, we describe the nature of the thing we are naming. That's so true, right? Unless we want an ironic name. But even that, we're identifying what is obvious. But when God names, he determines the nature of the thing he names. Do you realize the huge implications in your life? If we can just grasp this truth, who are you? I mean, who are you? Do you think of a name when I say, who are you? Do you think of, of maybe some role you fill that you found your identity in? Oh, I'm, I'm an artist or uh, I'm a teacher. Those aren't bad things, right? Not at all. Do you think of your name? Do you find your identity in your name? Do you find your identity in your ethnicity? Do you find your identity in your political party, in your job, in your grades? in your bank account. Maybe you don't know who you are. Maybe you say, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm 30-something years old and I still don't know who I am. I'm 40-something and I'm still not sure. I'm, I'm 50-something and I was married, but now I'm 50-something and I'm divorced and I just don't even know who I am. Listen, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You are a work of art. God has only begun to shape and mold you. Your story is just beginning. That's not, that's not your mother saying, listen, people pick on you just because they're jealous. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's not true. They're picking on you because they're picking on you. <laughs> but your mom loves you so much, she's trying to like help you out, right? We all know that. But that's not what God is doing. God isn't doing some like mystical pep talk to like trick us into believing in ourselves. He's saying, no, don't believe in yourself. Because when you try to find your identity in yourself, it will continually let you down. Don't strive. No, no, no. He's saying, don't settle for a lesser version of your one and only life. Because apart from me, you are broken. Apart from me, you are inadequate. But with me and in me and through me, you are a work of art. I literally wove you together, God says, in your, in your mother's womb. You were woven together with a purpose and a plan, and he's still creating in you. He's still speaking truth, but will you allow him to disrupt you wonderfully and beautifully disrupt you and cause you to change directions and reconsider the things that you've settled for? <laughs> so the question is, 
Will you be disrupted by God? Will you say, God, who do you say that I am? When was the last time you spent time apart from the busyness, from the chaos and the craziness and just in solitude? Said, God, who do you say that I am? Not, not who do people say that I am. Not, not who do I want to be or what do I want to become, but God, who is it that you, the creator of all, the artist that is lovingly shaping me, and molding me. Who do you say that I am? You know why? Because everything else is just us trying to find ourselves. And that is vain and empty. We can't. We can't find ourselves apart from God. That's like a secular notion in the world. Like, I'm going to go find myself. (laughs) That never pans out well, right? Like, I knew people that are like, I'm going to take some time from college. I mean... I'm a freshman and things are going well, but I'm just going to take some time. I'm going to go find myself. <laughs> we never saw them again. They didn't find themselves. They, they, they thought of a reason to disengage from their current reality. You see, that's, that's what this is. It's, it's a strive for identity and a strive for belonging. It's, it's us trying to make sense of our one and only life. Remember, disruption will reveal how much clarity you have. That includes our identity, right? Because here's a disruption. You find your identity in your job, and then you lose that job. Who are you now? Do you have clarity on who you are? Or do you have your identity rooted in something that's just surfacey at best? It's a disruption of the worst kind. You get cut from the team. You still an athlete? Was your identity wrapped up in that. You're not able to get into that college. Is your world coming unraveled? You get the money. How about that? How about not something going wrong, right? I think there's a ton of illustrations and examples of things going wrong, but I I think sometimes in my mind when I hear people say that, I'm like, well, what if things are going right? So how about this? How about you get all the money? You got the job you want. And you're sitting around just counting $100 bills that are piled up to your chest. You're just like, this is amazing. You're just throwing money at everything, right? And then you're like, wait a second. I'm still alone. I'm not any happier. I'm still just a gerbil on that wheel. Is your identity wrapped up in something that's just not delivering? If you're sitting there saying, man, if I had that much money, I'd be fine, then you just haven't had enough money or enough stuff in your life. You haven't lived enough life to realize that these things, these created things, they never deliver. They never deliver on what we're searching for. We still feel empty. But listen, if if your identity is child of God, then that's unshakable. That's unshakable. Because when we feel broken as a child of God, God is saying, I'm naming you whole. (laughs) When we feel weak, God is saying, I name you conqueror. When we're sitting sidelined and feeling lost in the worries and the concerns of this world, God is speaking over and saying, no, I named you leader. 
And it makes no sense. It's so disruptive at the core of who we are. It's not even humbling. It's not even the right word. It's just, it's this disruptive thought and angst that we think there's no way, there's no way someone believes in me that much. It's not possible. It would be good news, right? It would be the gospel. Is it possible that God is creating, that he's doing a work that he's been doing since the Old Testament, that all the while he's speaking truth and life into his creation and he's saying, don't settle for a lesser version of your one and only life. I didn't breathe into you and give you life so that you could strive after the things around you on this plane as if the created will ever deliver on what it is that you're ultimately searching for. No, I created you for a purpose and a plan, a mission. And I've, I've breathed it into your heart and into your mind. I want to challenge you to dream and have God risks. And the world is just crushing that. Just crushing it all the while. And all the while, God is creating. And he's looking at someone that will betray him, that can't put anything really together, that acts impulsively. And he's saying, you are a rock and I will build my church on that rock. Peter's going, I'm just not so sure. But because of his willingness, God does a work that history now tells the story of. And that's not to somehow glorify or elevate Peter. It's to let us know that we can simply make ourselves available and that God can do a work that we can't even fathom. Jesus isn't just giving a pep talk of belief in people. (laughs) No. You see, he would go to a cross and he would lay down his life and he would die the death that you and I deserve to secure us the identity child of God. He wasn't just encouraging. He was saying, I will do the work necessary that you could never do for yourself so that you can be known as a child of the living God, so that we can have an unshakable identity and become co-heirs with Jesus Christ. It's incredible. It's an unbelievable scandal. It's disruptive. And yet it's beautiful. Are you a child of God? Because if you are, your life should be disrupted. It should be disrupted. You should expect that. Look at scripture, right? Verses 14 through 15, And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. He named them so that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So the first thing Jesus says, I want you to be with me. Broken, a mess, I want you to be with me. Solitude, not isolation, solitude with God. And there's 12 because we're made for community. And it's in loving community that we hear truth, that we hear gospel truth spoken to us. So solitude with God and truth-based community, when we have those two things together, the outflow is that we become messengers. We become messengers. We, we preach, which means we proclaim the, the kingdom of God. We proclaim the gospel, the outflow of a life lived in solitude with God and in community with, with truth speakers into our lives. The outflow is we communicate the gospel. And this idea that, that we would then cast out demons, it's, it's not like, okay, so now we get special powers against, uh, you know, the demons of hell or anything like that. No, it's about the idea that we get 
to demonstrate the authority of the kingdom of God. That, that followers of Jesus, that children of God, have the opportunity to proclaim the truth of the gospel and walk in the authority of the kingdom of God. You know, here at Centerway, our mission is to cultivate a movement in which people become gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life. That's what it's about. It's about being sent. It's about being on mission. About people that do life together, that, that lean into relationship with God and lean into messy relationship with one another so that we have the opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel to each other and call one another out. Why? So we could be influencers in every sphere that God directs us to. Gospel-centered influencers. But it starts with solitude with God. That's where it begins. Because Jesus is doing a work. God is doing a work. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to consider, who does God say that I am? Where have I allowed the lies of others to, to disrupt what it is that, that God should be disrupting in the most beautiful and wonderful of ways? Where is our identity rooted? Because if it starts with solitude, then this text requires something of us, as we say every week. And the question I want you to consider is this, how will I spend more time with God this week? How will I spend more time with God this week? If everything starts with solitude, if everything starts with solitude with God, how will I spend that time? What does that look like? For some of you this morning, spending solitude with God means beginning a relationship with God, acknowledging the sacrifice that he made for you for your sins so that you can experience the freedom that he makes available. And so if that's you out there this morning, I want to provide opportunity for you to respond. And so in the, the quietness or the chaos of wherever you find yourself right now, you can pray a simple prayer, something like this. Lord, I'm a sinner, but you died the death that I deserve. You paid the penalty for my sins. Would you forgive me and be the Lord and leader of my life? I want to know you. It can be that simple. In fact, if you prayed that prayer, and you want to cross that line of faith this morning, and you're with us live, I just want to encourage you to, to click on the uh, request prayer, and that would put you in a separate chat, a private chat with one of our hosts so that they can walk you through next steps. If you're listening to this later, I want to encourage you to go to our website and check out next steps so that we can come alongside you. It's not just a, a momentary decision, but it's the beginning of a journey. For others of us out there, if you've already crossed that line of faith, I want to challenge you, what does it look like to spend more time with God this week. Maybe you have to right now pull out your phone or if you still have a calendar <laughs> and just write it in or type it in. I need to spend more time with God in the morning, in the evening, at my lunch break, study hall, whatever it might be, but really create time and margin for you to find solitude with God so that he can begin to whisper to your heart, who it is that he says you are. That you can begin to experience the truth of the reality that you're a child of the living God and the labels that others have put on you and the identity that you've instilled even in yourself is not what it is that God is creating in and through your life. Maybe you're with us this morning and you say, I've crossed that line of faith and I have a scheduled time of solitude with God. And that's great. But I want to challenge you. 
What does it look like to respond to this word? Because we're never beyond response. The text always requires something of us. We don't outpace that in our journey. And so to you, I want to challenge, what does it look like to spend more time with God so that we can be missional? What does it look like to spend time with God and say, okay, okay, Lord, I've spent the solitude part. Now send me out to preach. Lord, I want to be on mission with you. Who is it that needs to know the truth of the gospel? Who is it that I need to demonstrate your authority? Do I need to to share a story of life change where you have demonstrated your authority in and through my life? What does that look like? I want to challenge you to consider that. Regardless of where you are, God wants to spend time with you. He wants to be with you. So let's conclude our time this morning just praying and declaring ourselves available to spend time with the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we simply declare ourselves available. We pray that you would disrupt us. That you would disrupt us. Lord, it it seems (laughs) so counterintuitive because there's so much stuff that we just, we want to accomplish and we want to do. But Father, would you beautifully disrupt us this week? As we commit to spend time with you in solitude, would you communicate the truth of who you say that we are into our hearts and minds? And would you disrupt us with opportunity to to be your hands and your feet, to live on mission in profound and dynamic ways for your glory, for our joy? We simply declare ourselves available. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can't wait to be with you next week as we continue in our series, Disrupted. You're not going to want to miss it. Hi, I'm Meredith. Thanks for joining us this morning. We want to invite you now to join us on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond and worship through song. There are many ways to worship, not just singing. And we encourage you to carve out space this week to spend more time with God as one of the ways you can respond to the text. I want to encourage you to position yourself for some holy disruptions because time with God always leads to life and leads to growth. In the meantime, though, we're excited to sing together if you're with us live. If you're watching or listening to the message later, you can find the songs that we're about to sing on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for our new Disrupted playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.